Chapter 10 of Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 10 The Protestant Cemetery at Florence. Mrs. Browning, Dr. Southwood Smith, Mrs. Francis Trollope, and other celebrities. Florence, November. 1865. There are few localities in Florence so replete with solemn interest to English and American travelers as the Protestant Cemetery. It is situated a short distance beyond the Porta Apinti. The ground rises in gentle undulations from the entrance gate to an eminence which commands a prospect of varied and picturesque loveliness. A gradual ascent which seems to typify those upward steps which the spirit takes after it has thrown off the mortal clog interred in that earth. There are not many imposing or even pretentious monuments. The one that first attracts the eye is that of Ruth Fairley, surmounted by a statue of faith by Fantacciotti. This cemetery holds the ashes of not a few who have won renown in Great Britain and America, but the one about whose odorous memory there clings the deepest, tenderest, most widely spread interest is Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She loved Italy with a deep, passionate, prayerful love and longing for its resurrection from the grave of sloth and inertia with a prophetic foreseeing of its restored liberty and glory. Florence was so entirely the home of her heart that she seems to belong to Italy rather than to England. In Florence, the very air is redolent of her presence. Go where you will, you retrace her footsteps. From the heights of the beautiful Belsgardio, lovely Fiesole, or solemnly grand San Miniato, down the banks of the Arno, through the narrow, palace-lined and legend-consecrated streets, on the gay Casina, and the memorable squares, on the picturesque old ridges, in the churches, in the galleries, standing in rapt admiration before the works of old masters, everywhere the rhythmic echo of her inspired words ring in the ears. She has sung of them all, has linked herself to all by her glorious verse. Most readers are familiar with her poems entitled Casaguidi Windows, that Casaguidi which now bears a tablet with the inscription, Here lived and died Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who united in her heart the knowledge of the learned and the genius of the poet and with her verses made a golden link between italy and england grateful florence offers her this memorial eighteen sixty one in casa guidi her son the only babe which ever rejoiced her yearning heart and rendered perfect her womanhood first drew breath in casa guidi she said to him the sun strikes through the windows up the floor out on it, my own young Florentine, not two years old, and let me see thee more. 
it grows along thy amber curls to shine brighter than elsewhere now look straight before and fix thy brave blue english eyes on mine and from thy soul which fronts the future so with unabashed and unabated gaze teach me to hope for what the angels know when they smile clear as thou dost stand out my blue-eyed prophet thou to whom the earliest world daylight that ever flowed through casaguidi windows chance to come in casaguidi her cold lips for the last time pressed those of her blue-eyed prophet from casaguidi her holy spirit took its heavenward flight before the sorrowing watchers knew that there was one angel less on earth it is related that in answer to the inquiry how she felt she murmured her last words and they were so lovely a fitting utterance to fall from those dying lips and how suggestive of her life her eyes were ever fixed upon the beautiful or they beautified through their hallowing medium what they looked upon it is said we are most apt to recognize in others what exists in ourselves and hence sprang her quick recognition of all that is lovely noble and good the evil that glared before eyes less merciful was ignored by hers her spirit wherever it moved threw a halo of luminous holiness and beauty around even commonplace objects and natures and lifted them up out of their dull insignificance and converted the prosaic round of daily life into poetry thousands of feet have visited her grave thousands of hands have plucked the ivy leaves from the sod yet uncovered by the elaborate monument which is being sculpted to adorn the spot the italians even those who are well educated take but little interest in english literature we think it is not too much to say they are better acquainted with mrs browning's writings than with those of any other english author a few steps onward past the grave of mrs browning we come to that of the celebrated dr southwood smith a man whom england reveres as largely the benefactor of his race his monument of pure white cerveza marble bears this inscription from the pen of lee hunt ages shall honour in their heart enshrine thee southwood smith physician of mankind bringer of air light health in the homes of the sick poor of happier years to come a bas-relief beautifully executed by the american sculptor mr hart calls vividly to mind the features of the philanthropist features almost perfect in their benign and holy beauty the ample brow the finely shaped eyes the exquisitely soft and benignant mouth the whole contour of the face manifests the soul of the man as few souls reveal themselves through their covering of clay mr hart has invented an ingenious instrument which enables him to repeat by exact measurement the features of his sitter he used this instrument in sculpting the bas-relief of dr southwood smith 
thus there can be no question of the correctness of the proportions and the faithfulness of the likeness we are aware that mr hart's invention has been ridiculed by some of his brother artists who prefer to exercise their powers of idealizing upon a portrait and to improve upon defective nature but the public who desire to know precisely how a great man looked is mr hart's debtor we learn that of late some of the best artists in florence have not disdained now and then to ask permission to use this mechanical invention to test the exactness of their own delineations the life of dr southwood smith is rich in incident one of the most touching is that to which his noble work on the divine government and his valuable and instructive volume on the physiology of health owe their origin very early in life he became a calvinist clergyman one beautiful saturday afternoon he was passing through a field in a little village where he had just arrived and where he was to preach on the morrow suddenly he heard behind him the sound of musical voices and of merry laughter he turned and saw five young girls a moment after they passed still laughing and talking with the face of one he was powerfully impressed and her voice thrilled him as though it had been a loved and familiar tone it may seem strangely romantic to the wide range of commonplace people but the young clergyman who was only nineteen years of age watched the merry maidens until they reached a stile and climbed over the young girl who had so singularly attracted him came last and when she had stepped over and gone on her way the already enamoured boy rushed to the spot and kneeling down kissed the ground which he had seen pressed by her feet the lovely-faced and melodious voice haunted him all night the next morning when he entered the pulpit his eyes fell upon the same countenance looking up to his the five young ladies with an elderly gentleman were sitting directly before him when the service concluded several of the parishioners were presented and among them the father of the five sisters this gentleman invited the young clergyman to his house from that hour an intimacy commenced which resulted in southwood smith winning the heart of the fair girl whom he had literally loved at the first glance before the close of the year the father died leaving his five motherless daughters to the guardianship of the youthful clergyman southwood smith was only twenty when he became a bridegroom and although his bride was a few years his senior their union was said to have been one of unmitigated happiness in less than four years he was the father of two daughters and they were motherless when her last infant was only a few months old his wife took a severe cold while visiting the poor and after a brief illness expired the grief of the widower amounted to despair almost to frenzy for a season he could find no consolation but pondering upon the decrees of that divine providence which could not permit such a calamity the light of truth pierced through the clouds of rebellion that enveloped his mind 
and he wrote his eloquent book upon the divine government, truly the healing offspring of his wounded spirit. He, however, entertained the conviction that his wife might have been spared to him had she not been unskillfully and ignorantly treated, and he was so impressed with this idea that, in the compassionate hope of saving others from needlessly enduring the terrible blow which had crushed his life, he left the ministry and studied medicine. This erudite and instructive work upon the physiology of health was the result of his laborious investigations and deductions. He not only became an eminent physician, but to him England is indebted for her sanitary improvements, and to him the science of medicine owes much of its progress, and the revelation of various facts until then unsuspected. The last year of his life was passed in Florence, the home of his youngest daughter. In another part of the cemetery is the grave of the celebrated Mrs. Frances Trollope, the mother of the distinguished authors Anthony Trollope and T. Adolphus Trollope. Mrs. Trollope's name is familiar to all Americans, and it has been difficult for them to pardon her first literary effort, a volume in which she so savagely and with such one-sided pertinacity ridiculed their foibles and peculiarities without doing justice to what is grand and noble in the national character. But her experiences in America were confined to a very limited sphere, chiefly Western, and no one can read her book without perceiving how little opportunity she had of judging Americans out of that narrow circle. Mrs. Trollope had reached her fortieth year before she aspired to become an authoress, but her pen proved wonderfully fruitful, and her numerous works of fiction won her not merely fame, but fortune. We remember her well in Paris, when her drawing-room was the center of attraction to artists and men of letters. She was a vivacious, agreeable, and amiable lady, who possessed the enviable talent not merely of shining herself, but of making others to shine. It was her delight to stretch out a helping hand to a struggling talent. She was never weary of encouraging the faint-hearted, and of giving the full meed of appreciation to modest worth. During the latter portion of her life, she made her home in Florence. Her mental powers had been so largely and incessantly taxed that they gave way beneath the strain, and for some years before her death she entirely lost her memory, not precisely her reason, but certainly her intelligence. She resided at the time of her death with her son, T. Adolphus Trollope. In spite of her deplorable condition, she was far from unhappy. She always fancied herself surrounded by books. Even when there was not a volume within reach, and when asked if she needed anything, replied, No. You see, I have plenty of books. I can always amuse myself. She died at an advanced age in 1864. Not far from her grave is that of the wife of T. Adolphus Trollope, Theodosia Trollope, who died in 1865. She also was a successful writer and was endowed with a richly cultivated mind, 
great fascination of manner, charm of person, and remarkable musical talent, doubtless inherited from her mother, Madame Gros, a prima donna well known to fame. In accordance with Florentine custom, the municipality has decided to place a tablet upon her residence commemorative of her genius. On the other side of the cemetery is the grave of Theodore Parker, well beloved on both sides of the ocean. Recently, another distinguished American name is added to those inscribed upon the tombstone of this Florentine cemetery, that of Hildreth, the historian and author of The White Slave. He died in Florence in 1865. Mental labors too long protracted occasioned softening of the brain and reduced him to the state of childish dependence. He left a wife to fight life's hard battle single-handed and in the field of art, also a son of promising talents who looks forward to making a name in his own land as an architect and a landscape gardener. But our article would extend itself to a volume if we made even passing mention of all the illustrious dead whose ashes repose in this beautiful cemetery and of whose lives a record full of interest might be given. End of chapter 10